This week on Mind Matters. Have you noticed anything odd about Sylvia? On a daily basis. Jack thinks you're having an affair. He's my doctor. I've been poorly for a while now. I'm ever so frightened. Mrs Chapman becomes ill. Uh, and without wanting to go into too much detail, this series for her is a sort of struggle. Treatment for this kind of cancer is radiotherapy. After that, a full hysterectomy. It's a punishment from God, isn't it? He's forsaken me, Leonard. Your cancer is not a punishment. It's a struggle physically, uh, it's a struggle emotionally, and it's a struggle with her faith, because she, of all people, has always been very, very uh, strong on religion. I pray every day. I abide by your every bloody rule. So where are you? Why won't you answer me? We will all be with you. God will be with you. What if there's no God? Where will I go then? I believe there is. And he cares very much for you. Thank you, thank you. I should never have doubted you. I was so blinkered thinking about myself. I lost sight of him. When I asked him to save you, he listened. Of course he did. I'm sure there were easier ways for you to help her rediscover her faith. I'm part of the service. Are you all right? All the better for seeing you. Well, hello, everybody. This is Richard Beatty, and you're listening to Mind Matters. That's a scene from the popular series Grant Chester, which is a masterpiece mystery. Today, Rita Schulte and I will address a hard topic Author Justin Holcomb writes, Anger and grief are healthy responses to profoundly painful events in our lives. Those who grieve over painful experiences need patient care, not a lecture. This week, Rita Schulte and I are talking to Brad Hambrick, and we will be talking about his new book, Angry with God, An Honest Journey Through Suffering and Betrayal. That's this week on Mind Matters. Mind is a terrible thing to waste. You cannot define yourself in reference to other external coordinates. You must define yourself internally with your relationship with a higher entity. Stop it! and listen to what really matters. Join counselor and author Rita Schulte and me, Richard Beatty, in renewing your mind because your mind matters. So come on in and join us. Angry with God, an honest journey through suffering and betrayal. Counselor and author Brad Hambrick gives readers a guided process to being honest with God about their pain, to restore and deepen their relationship with him. Rita Schulte, my radio partner in All Mind Matters, is here with me. Rita, this is a subject that isn't discussed very much, and Brad gives us an approach that is a little more palatable, especially in the church. People's hardest questions about God are not rooted in theological complexity, but pain. Brad Hambrick. He explains that to navigate these experiences, we need to understand that anger is a part of grief. This helps see that we can work through angry grief with God rather than assuming we are angry at God. 
While we're often prone to interpret our anger about intense suffering as being at God, angry with God is an invitation to process these intense emotions with God as a source of comfort and refuge in hard times. For those who are struggling with deep grief, that's accompanied with anger and confusion, as it sometimes always is. Angry with God will be profoundly helpful in their journey. So today we're talking with Brad Hambrick, and the name of his book is Angry with God, An Honest Journey Through Suffering and Betrayal. Brad, welcome to Mind Matters. It's my privilege to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. So can you talk about the difference between being angry with God and being angry at God? What do you want people to see with this concept? Yeah. And so, you know, you can always do a, a play on words and sometimes it just comes across as cute or trite. Uh, but, you know, if, if your listeners are trying to like get a visual image of what we're talking about there, uh, if we're angry at God, uh, then it's as if he's in that seat next to the judge uh, in a courtroom uh, and we are pleading our case because he has wronged us. Uh, he needs to hear that from us. On the other hand, when we're angry with God, we're no less angry. We're no less hurt. We're no less confused. But it's more like we're on a park bench and he's our friend beside us, talking, hearing, compassionate, wanting to be a friend, a refuge that all of the things that scripture tell us that he is. And oftentimes in the midst of our pain, uh, just because we're hurting, uh, we put God in the dock, as C.S. Lewis would say, as opposed to seeing him beside us. Yeah, that's really true. I find that so often with God, we have a concept of him before any of the vicissitudes of life hit us. And I'm, when am I working with clients, I want them to be curious about what their concept of God is. Is God loving and caring? Is he distant and detached? Is he harsh and punitive? Because I believe every trial we face are going to trigger those beliefs. So where do you start that work? I mean, yeah, it's great to see God as an advocate, but if historically you've seen him in any of those negative ways, it's going to be really hard for somebody to trust God. Yeah. And one of the things that I hope is unique um, in, in this book is a lot of books like this, they start by defending God. Uh, like, here are the things that we know they are true about God, and it's almost as if we're not allowed to question them. Um, and when you read the Bible, uh, especially in the Psalms, the Psalms ask all kinds of questions, uh, many of which that we would say, like, ah, those things aren't true. I, like, if that wasn't in the Bible, I might be uncomfortable with somebody saying it. Uh, and so where this book starts is helping someone come to understand their pain and suffering uh, and helping them see that uh, really what they're after, um, and I hope I'm not doing too much in speaking for someone here, is not so much an answer. That when we're hurting, oftentimes we put uh, our pain in a litany of questions that usually start with the word why. Why this? Why that? Why the other thing? And when somebody tries to give us answers, it's as if whatever they say is supposed to make our pain better. And even if they're right, that's kind of like explaining an appendectomy. Um, I can explain an appendectomy with great clarity. It doesn't make that pain in your side go away. What you need is a process, not an answer, uh, because pain isn't a riddle. It's an experience. It's a journey. 
Yeah, I really like that. Uh, that's why I wanted to start off with, you know, that little part that you wrote, because I think we're looking for the answers to the why questions. I was just talking to a, a client this morning and her husband took his life mm. and it's all the why questions yeah. you know, and why, you know, and we, and I had those as well, of course. Mm-hmm. And I guess somehow we feel like, well, if I just know the answer to those questions, I'm going to, I'm going to feel better. And I, I mean, that can, you know, close the door, connect some of the dots for sure, but it's not the be all end all to it. We're still going to be in pain because we've still lost a loved one. Right. And, and so I think we need more. There's an old um, Scott Brown song called when answers aren't enough, we need Jesus. And I think we're, like you said, it's not this theological uh, thing. And we don't want to hand that off to people in pain. And I think that's where the Christian community sometimes really blows it. It's like, we don't need a Bible verse when we've just lost our spouse to suicide. I mean, of course we need a Bible verse, but it doesn't feel that that's tangible right now. You, you've got to really listen, be empathetic, join people in their pain and listen to them because they're going to have a lot of questions. Anytime somebody's experienced a profound loss, it's like a bomb's gone off in their life and everything they believe has come into question. And so I think they need this idea of alongside people, community, and certainly God coming alongside of them in the midst of this pain. Right. Because even when answers are accurate, and if we give good theological answers, there's um, that that's not to have that's not the same thing as having somebody to walk this journey with you. Uh, and early one of the chapters, I just it's on how do you find a good friend for this journey? So the book kind of maps a journey. Uh, and one of those early chapters is trying to find somebody who can be that tangible physical presence that, um, as Second Corinthians would say, that ambassador of God's peace and hope in our life as they come alongside of us. Uh, and so this book does try to take your hand as you're processing these kinds of things. It tries to take that hand and put in the hand of a friend uh, as the two of you walk this kind of journey together. Yeah, and hopefully people of faith can see that and at some point be grateful for those that did walk alongside, because I believe, I mean, I know in my recovery after my husband's suicide, that was the lifeline, people being the hands and feet of Christ and my seeing God's provision in that way for me. I think one of the things, well, I know, you know, when I'm suffering, that I want is for someone to really understand and feel my pain right? Because a pain shared is a pain halved. But that's not totally possible because another person can't live inside of my skin. And I think that's part of the anger piece for us. You know, people don't get it, but God does get it. We just have to believe that. And again, that goes back to what's our concept of God and how can we as counselors, as people helpers, as Christians, connect or reconnect someone to the heart of God when they're going through this type of intense suffering. And for me, I use the spiritual disciplines because I can tell them all day long, God's good, God's there, God's this, God's that. But until they haven't experienced themselves with God, I'm just handing them more information. They need God to show up in the midst of the suffering they're going to and speak something or do something. And I was very, very blessed in my journey to have that happen many, many times. 
And I think that, you know, experience of God is really what um, transforms us. And I think one of the, maybe one of the most ordinary ways that God shows up is the sturdiness of a good friend. Mm. Like when we go through something that is life-changing like that, uh, we want to know when we talk to somebody, are you sturdy enough to hear my story? Mm. And one of the things that I think can make us less sturdy uh, than we would want to be, right? And so maybe one of the most ordinary ways that God shows up is the sturdiness of a friend. Like when we're sharing what we've been through that has completely changed our life, I want to know, can you can you bear that with me? And oftentimes it's the it's the uneasiness of a friend of like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to ask. And that's where we we wind up saying trite things. And part of what I would hope this book would do is it would take the pressure off of that friend. Yeah, like they don't need friend, to fix us, right? right they don't need to fix us. I will walk this journey with you. I will hear you. You know, sometimes when we don't feel understood, it's because we say and we look into the other person's eyes and they're kind of empty and searching. And when they have a sense of like, hey, my role is just to be here with you, they can look with compassion. They can look with more fullness. You're like, my story can be known. I I am still cared for. Like you are God's ambassador of care for me uh, in, um, in this moment. Yeah. So let's talk about some practical ways people can do that. For those listening that might have a friend who's going through a a traumatic event that they've experienced, what might some practical ways that we can flesh this out for our friend? So for example, I know one of my dear friends, the first thing she did was Google all this stuff on suicide and what not to say to a suicide loss survivor, right? Uh, but practical ways, uh, any ideas or suggestions that you might have? Yeah. And so uh, maybe even pre-Google search, because mm-hmm. that initial conversation often happens before uh, we can get to a keyboard or get our phone out, or it would be socially acceptable to do so. When somebody shares something that profoundly difficult with you, say thank you. Thank you for the courage. Thank you for the trust. Um, Like you are showing great value in our friendship. Um, I know this is hard. Um, And that kind of thing, because nobody wants to be a burden. Nobody wants to feel like they're intruding. And when you communicate that their trust in you actually honors you, it, it gives them the freedom to talk. Um, yeah, I think that's beautiful because that's true that you value them enough. You trust them enough to share that. And yeah, yeah that's, that's a great, um, yeah. uh, and then I think, you know, the other thing you're right, where you say people don't know what to say or do. So oftentimes they do nothing. And that's more painful for us. I'm just talking about a suicide loss survivor, but any griever. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what to do with grief in our culture, do we? We're uncomfortable with it. So we want to distract ourselves or, you know, we want our happy-go-lucky friend back the way they were before whatever it was that happened, happened. And that's really not possible in the early stages of grief, right? That person isn't going to be 
you know, your normal happy-go-lucky friend for a while? And can you, like you said, sit with that person and offer that space that they can just be a mess and you're not going to judge them, but you're going to give them your attuned, compassionate presence? Um, And that's where, like, just playing off that a little bit, because I completely agree with you that in those moments where emotions are so uncomfortable and raw, we often miss so many of the virtues that are being expressed in a moment like that. For example, courage, vulnerability, trust. Uh, Those are things that when I don't know what to say that would be helpful, I can still affirm the things that you're doing that are good and wise. Um, And so when you come and you share that and like, Hey, this, I want you to know this is legitimately hard. I'm not sure what the answer is, but the courage and trust that you're showing is it. I can't imagine anything better. And I know it's a challenge. Thank you. Yeah, um, that's beautiful because that really lifts up the person. And, and on I, the backside, it uh, like to what you were saying about we don't really know that much about suffering and how that goes and how to do it well. Uh, one of the themes towards the end of this. Uh, is being able to value a less innocent faith uh, that so often in our day uh, in kind of Christendom, especially when we wear our best and we show up at church and we sing nothing but happy songs, uh, that there's you know just a lot more celebratory than solemn worship. We begin to think that good faith, strong faith is always positive. Mm. It's bordering on naive. But when we see, ah, when we go through things like this, we're going to have a less innocent faith. And less innocent isn't less good. In many ways, it's just a more mature. Uh, it's a more ripe. It a, it's a faith that fits a broken world without surrendering the things that we believe, but also not pretending the hard things aren't true or that we're Teflon to them. Right. And if we have questions, uh, you have a bit in there about lament. And Mm -hmm. I wrote about that in my book, uh, Surviving Suicide Loss, because I Mm -hmm. believe if we are angry or raging, I think we're doing relationship with God, you know, just that lament, that cry out. And God's shoulders are broad enough to handle that. I think, you know, if you think about our earthly life, I mean, we get mad at our partners, we get mad at our kids, but we work through that. And I think part of the lament process is actually doing relationship with God. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think people think Christians, oh, I can't be angry at God. And so they stuff those emotions. And that's no good because they'll come out crooked sooner or later. Uh, I agree with you. I may take it a step further. I think more than like God's big enough to take it, God invites it. Mm. Uh, When you read the Psalms, there's a lot. I mean, the backbone of this book, like if you want to say the skeleton, the Psalm 44. 44, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's a psalm where life starts great. There's a salah, a calamity happened. We don't know what it is. Then there is just tragedy and all the praise that God gets in verses one through eight. He gets blamed for the next section. Then there's like four, five, six verses of confusion where the psalmist doesn't know, like, God, you know, my heart, you would know if I did something wrong. And then it ends angry. Like, God, wake up. You're asleep at the wheel. And the psalmist is, I mean, there's lots of exclamation points. When you look, the psalmist is yelling. And 
this is one where like what one of the things I did with my teenage sons that is really what I'm trying to do with this book is when they became teenagers, uh, based off of like that principle of Psalm 44, I I wrote them a Papa's an idiot letter. <laughs> And I wrote a letter like when they're up in their room and they're as mad as they can be. And whatever it is that I've said was completely unreasonable. I'm like, I'm going to put this in your cert drawer on a Sharpie up front. It says Papa's an idiot. It's sealed. I want you to. At that moment, I want you to remember this letter exists and bring it to me. And basically the letter just says our relationship is bigger than whatever we just fussed about. If you bring this letter, we'll talk. And Psalm 44 is like God saying, I know life in a broken world is going to be this way. This is, you can talk to me about these things. Bring me this Psalm and we can talk. And all I'm trying to do in this book is let that principle of like, oh, I I can bring the hard things. I can talk about the hurt behind the anger. Uh, And if we get that then all of a sudden relationship is restored and everything that God wants to be and do can begin to happen, not in a Pollyanna way, not in some fake pastel kind of um, way, but in a real authentic, raw kind of way. That's so beautiful, Brad. I, I love that. And I love the Psalms and I buried myself in those after Mike died. And I think so many times, not only Psalm 44, but other Psalms that I camped on Mm -hmm. really have that, you know, idea that where are you? You know, you're asleep at the wheel. Yeah. I I feel like you're a million miles away. I don't, I don't hear you. I don't feel your presence, all of those things. And I love that you said, I think God invites us to bring that to himself. God gives us Psalms like that because he says, I want you to have those kinds of words for this moment because you're going to need them. I mean, like just in this same vein, uh, you take Hebrews 4, where it says we approach the throne of grace with boldness. And oftentimes, at least as naively as a young Christian, I always took that to mean like you can ask God for anything and he can do it. You can ask boldly because you got a big God. And that's true. But if you yeah. look at the context. It's where it's talking about Jesus who suffered every way that we did, who has been through the, you know, so like. And the intent is you can come with boldness, meaning when you look your eyes up to the Father in prayer, you can have no doubt whether he gets it. You can pray with complete confidence that you're talking to someone who understands what you're going through. You don't have to have doubt about being understood. You can come and pray plainly, pray boldly, pray with the confidence you're going to be understood. Amen. It's a great conversation. Next week, when we talk further with Brad, we'll unpack some more elements of being angry with rather than at God. Before we go, though, RitaSchulte.com has been revamped and ready to serve you. Go to RitaSchulte.com, that's S-C-H-U-L-T-E, and take some time. Uh, My Matters broadcast, podcast, and the entire cast is there. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you return next week to hear more from Brad Hambrick. My Matters is a Crawford original radio program from Sound Century Presents. I'm Richard Beatty, and for Rita Schulte, have a great week. <laughs>